It's possible to think that you're believing in God, even serving Him with passion, not even be in relationship with Him. As I was thinking about this message, the Apostle Paul well, actually saw who the person he was before came to mind. Of all the people among the Jewish faith and the Pharisees of which he was one, Saul was perhaps the most passionate. He, was, he had been trained in the best schools. He had, he had excelled among his peers. And he was passionate about who he thought God was. So passionate because he was of the Jews, he was Pharisee. When this man Jesus came along and claimed to be the Messiah, and then his followers began to wreak havoc in the Jewish world, he became a headhunter. A headhunter. He became a hitman. He got permission from the Jewish authorities to go in other cities beyond Jerusalem to find these who were following Jesus and arrest them and bring them back, and some of them died. Here was a man who believed that he knew who God was and what God wanted, and he lived it out passionately, and he was 180 degrees wrong. You see, it's possible to believe that we know who God is and what he's about and be absolutely wrong. That brings us to this idea of the confession of our faith. Confession of our faith. That's where we are. So we're in the, the series of messages talking about David and especially the disaster that he brought upon himself and the kingdom with Bathsheba. And what we've seen, if you look in your outline, what we've seen is, first of all, compromise. David was, was not where he was supposed to be, and as a result, he was vulnerable, and he gave in to temptation, and instead of following God with all of his heart, he sinned and turned his back on God. Then we saw there was confrontation. God sent the prophet Nathan to him, and in a very masterful way gave him the picture of what David was doing, which eventually convicted him of his sin. And he saw it for the first time. He was blind. And then we spent a couple of weeks on consequences, that we have to accept that there are costs for our sins. And the first week on consequences, we saw how Jesus has paid the consequences for our sin and we experience mercy and grace. That David didn't experience the death that he deserved. God spared his life, but there were still consequences. And in Psalm 103, verse 10, we saw that God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. He, he does not give us the consequences spiritually that we deserve when we trust Christ as Savior, but he gives us mercy and grace. But at the same time, we suffer the consequences of our sin and stupidity as well as reaping the benefits of our obedience. And so there's this law of reaping and sowing that we talked about last week, which brings us to the final C in our series of messages, confession. Confession of faith and confession of sin. And I want to talk about this word because generally when you hear the word confession, you think of somebody admitting something that they've done wrong, right? That's and we're going to talk about that. That's confession of sin. But there's a, 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 a different kind of confession the Bible talks about. And with English being the inaccurate language that it is, 
it, we are often miss some of what God wants to communicate to us because we, words can mean two different things. Two, so there's two aspects of it, and I, and I put it there beside the word confession. Confession of faith, confession of sin. Next week, confession of sin. This week, I want to talk about confession of sin because, as I've been emphasizing throughout the service, it's important who we believe God to be. Because who we believe God to be will determine everything. The Apostle Paul believed that God was still the God of the Old Testament, the God of Mount Sinai, the God uh, who demanded that he and he alone be worshipped. And he saw Jesus, who was actually the Christian Messiah, he saw Jesus as the enemy of God. And so what who Paul believed God to be, Jesus, who he believed Jesus to be, determined what, how he thought, how he felt, and what he did. Who we believe God to be will determine everything about our lives. That's what we want to talk about with confession of faith. Confession defined. The Greek word literally means saying the same thing. So to confess is to Agree with God. Confession is to agree, to promise, or to admit something. To agree with God. That's confession. To agree with God. So um, confession of faith then is to agree with God on who he is and what he does. And, and what, so what I'm asking you to do is to shift what you understand the word confession to mean. I was sitting at uh, Panera, hanging out with the heathen at Panera this week. And just, I've, I've made a, a bunch of friends down there and just trying to be the salt and light in the community. And I was talking to and I, a couple of guys that are just a little bit older than me. And I don't even know how we got on it. Um, but we started talking about um, confession in the Catholic Church. Confe- and here's how they described it. One of the scariest things I ever had to do in my entire life. <laughs> Said you would go, it, it, it started when you were a child. And I, and I think, did you start confession with First Communion? Was that the, kind of the way it went? You know, so First Communion and confession, you have to go to confession before. So he says, so you're a child, you go in there into this box. And there's a window here with holes in it. And then there's a bigger window that they slide open. Is that, is that right? And then you have to come up with terrible things that you've done. And one of them said, I couldn't think of anything. I'm, I was a good kid. I couldn't think of, I mean, I, I took bubble gum from my sister. I don't know what to say. And, 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 and you didn't know, and the, you know the person on the other side knew you because they were supposed to be private, but they knew you. And, and so, and then you would have to go and, and, uh, but say some our fathers or something as punishment for all of that. And, and, and they said, it was the scariest thing we ever had to do. Now, <laughs> how far away from who God is, is that? When the Bible tells us that our Heavenly Father is our loving Heavenly Dad, 
who loves us and wants us to experience freedom and love. And Jesus says, bring the little children to me and bless them. And he put his hands on them and he cared about them. And then we put children in a box beside an old guy that they don't even know that scares them to death. Does that sound like something Satan would do? Is to turn 180 degrees the opportunity that we have. Because here's the deal. Here's one of the deals. When we confess God, when we express our confession of faith, it draws us into his presence and it aligns us with him so that we experience an intimacy and alignment with him that brings satisfaction to our souls that he offers. And next week we're going to see when we confess our sins, it brings us, it, it cleanse, it allows God to cleanse us from the very things that are, are, are causing such angst in our lives. Confession then, confession of faith then is saying the same thing about God that God says about himself. It's agreeing with God about who he claims to be and what he promises to do and what he actually does in our lives. And so when we proclaim the Apostles' Creed, we are proclaiming, we are confessing. It's a confession of faith uh, faith being what we believe, what we and what we want to live out. What we are, uh, and so, um, so this confession of faith that we're about to talk about, I, I, I came to the conclusion this week it is really what God has been drawing us to in our worship over the last 18 months. See, 18 months ago, we didn't, we, didn't, um, um, we didn't say Scripture together. Not generally. And yet, I sense God leading us to do that. We didn't zero in on the words of the songs and, and, and how, you know, the, the, the power that those words have. And so I, as I look back on it for the last 18 months, God has been drawing us to proclaim confession of faith that I always thought was a very um, ritualistic liturgical kind of thing that us evangelicals don't do. But what, but what I've also seen those last 18 months is that as a congregation, we have been drawn into his presence in ways that we never were before. Confession of faith. Means to agree with God about, and so we're back to the outline, agree with God about who he is and what he does. To agree with God about who he is and what he does. So turn your, oh no, I've got it in your, in your outline already. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Um, so as you're reading through Scripture, what you'll find it is, is passages where the Holy Spirit, through whoever wrote that particular book, will go into a confession of faith, and we don't even recognize it. And here's one of them. In Philippians 2, 9 to 11, Therefore God has, a, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, meaning Christ, the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is a proclamation of what's going to happen. Jesus is coming back someday. And when he returns, every knee will bow in heaven, the, in the heavenly realm, all those demonic forces, all those spiritual enemies of God, the spirit, the angelic forces, all of the in the heavenly realm and on earth and under the earth, those who have already been put in prison, 
um, in hell, and every tongue confess, confess, every tongue confess. Does that mean all of these entities are going to come into relationship with God? No. It means all of them are going to agree that God is God. And God is all-powerful. And God rules all. You see, there's coming a day when all of the people that we look around at in this world and we shake our heads and go, they, the, why do the rich prosper? Why do the powerful, why are all these, and they think they're gods of their own and we get frustrated and we get angry. Listen to me. Don't worry about that because there's coming a day when every one of them will agree with what we know and that is God is God and Jesus is ruler of all. And he, was, he, he died on the cross and he was resurrected. They will pro- and then they will be sent to hell. That's confession of faith. It's agreeing with God, confession. In John chapter 1, verse 20, they came to John the Baptist. And they said, are you the Christ? And I can just imagine he went, whoa, no, 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 no. And it says he confessed, that is, he agreed with God, and he did not deny, but confess, I am not the Christ. Agreeing with God. So confession is agreeing with God. What does it look like? Proclaiming, professing, speaking it out, stating, singing. It's about speaking truth that, um, that about who God is, what he does, and brings honor to him. So here's some just core examples of what the confession of faith is, that God is God. That God really is God, the only true God, the one and only true God, who he is, what he does. He rules the world. God rules the world. It doesn't matter the chaos that we see around us, God rules the world. Turn your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 to 13. 1 Chronicles 29. If you need a, a Bible, slip your hand up and one of the, the ushers will bring you one. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 to 13. It, and I, I like this, because this is almost like a, an example or a template of, of a confession of faith that we can make to proclaim and honor God as God. First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 to 13. Therefore David blessed the Lord. And, and so earlier I said, Bless the, blessing the Lord means to speak highly of, of God. It means to speak favorably. It's a confession of faith. To bless the Lord is to speak of who God is. He blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Now, was, was David saying this because God didn't know these things? <laughs> no. And, and some people will say, well, why does God need praised? Because that brings honor to him that he is due, and it aligns us with him, and it brings dishonor to those who are against him. And so it is... It is something that we do for him, not because he does it, not because he needs it, but because he's given us the privilege of serving him. He goes on, yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. 
In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. It's a proclamation. It's a profession. It's a confession of faith that says God is ruling over all. And when we say that, it does something in our souls to remind us of what is true. Another... um, uh, another quality is that God is faithful in showing love and kindness. We confess a confession of faith that says God is faithful in showing love and kindness. Psalm 8, 118, 2-4, let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. That's a confession of faith, agreeing with God about who he is and what he does. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. It's also a, a confession of faith proclaims that God helps his people. Flip over to Psalm 105, verses 1 to 6. Psalm 105, verses 1 to 6. Psalm 105, verses 1 to 6. So give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. When we share testimony, when, you know, at the prayer gathering, when we're sitting in a circle and we say, this is what God did, there's something that happens in in the souls of one another, and it's the Holy Spirit saying, yes, that's who God is. That's confession of faith. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. His miracles and the judgments he uttered. One of the reasons why you ought to be writing down the things that God does is so that in the future, when you get discouraged, you can look back. And I've got stacks of journals that I can look back and and say, God was working here. God was working here. God was working here. That's what he's talking about. Tell of what God has done. Tell of what God is doing. There's something that happens in our souls when we hear about what God is doing. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. And so proclaiming, professing, stating, singing who God is and what he's done. Next bullet point, the Old Testament describes confession of faith as blessing the Lord. And I already talked about that. And so that's, and, and you know, for a long time I went, bless the Lord, doesn't make, no, it's talking about speaking favorably. It's about confessing who God is, proclaiming who God is. That's blessing the Lord. Why confession is important. Luke chapter 12, verse 8. Jesus says this, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. Why is confessing who God is and what he does important? It's because it reveals whether we really belong to him or not. Jesus isn't saying, okay, if you are really a Christ follower, but you keep your mouth shut, then I'm not going to, I'm not really going to, you know, pay attention to you at the, at the, at the judgment. He's not saying that. He's saying the fact that you keep your mouth shut indicates you don't belong to me. 
So when I talked about Richard Wormbrand and the people who were imprisoned for being Christian with him and recanted on their faith, it was they were they were saying, I don't, I don't really care about belonging to God anymore. So Confession is important because it indicates our willingness to say that we belong to Jesus. To give him credit in small circumstances and large indicates that we really do belong to him. It's a, it's a, it's a temperature gauge of whether we belong to him or not. Turn your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 12 to 14. First Timothy chapter 6, and you'll want to keep your finger there because we're going to come back to it in a little bit. But I want to read verses 12 to 14 here. Why confession is important. This is the Holy Spirit writing through the Apostle Paul. Saying, fight the good fight of faith. Well, what does that look like? Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you, were ma- you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So the good confession is to agree with God about who he is. That he is almighty God and that I will follow him. The good confession is to agree with him. It's it's. It's modeled after what happened with Jesus. Verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. So we go back to the Gospels and we see that Jesus was arrested and he he was taken to the Jewish leaders and they, they wanted to kill him. But they weren't allowed to kill him because they were under Roman rule. So they sent him to Pontius Pilate, who was governor over the Roman colony. And as Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate, here Paul says he made a good confession. What does that mean? He agreed with the Father about who he was. And what did Jesus say? Yes, I am a king, but not of this world. And it drove Pilate nuts. Jesus made the good confession. He agreed with the Father. That's, and so it's a good confession means that we're telling the truth about who God is, what he's doing in our lives, everything. We're living in integrity and obedience to him as, and speaking. So why is it important? It's because it reflects who we really are. How confession of faith is lived out. That's the next bullet point. How confession is lived out. All of this, you, you might be sitting there wondering, how in the world does this have anything to do with David and Bathsheba? Yeah, some of you are nodding your heads going, Herb has gone off on some tent. Let's go back. In fact, let's go back even before David and Bathsheba. Let's go back to Saul, because we originally started with that contrast. Saul was king before David. And there was a, a time when Saul was told by the prophet Samuel, go on this mission, kill everything. He comes back. Let me get my scripture here and I'll read it for you. 
And if you want to write this down, I won't ask you to turn to it. But in 1 Samuel chapter 15, it says, The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Saul was angry. Samuel was angry. He cried out to the Lord. Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said, Blessed be to you the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Here's what God had told Saul to do. Go to this particular people, kill everything. They were enemies of God. They were not going to turn to God. Kill them, kill the sheep, kill the cows, kill all, destroy the city. But instead of doing that, he kept some of it back. And so when Samuel confronts him, Saul immediately says, oh, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He was denying that he hadn't done it. And Samuel said, why then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? I love that line. That's one of my favorite lines in the Old Testament. <laughs> if you killed all the sheep and the, and the oxen, why am I hearing them? Saul said, um, they, the people, brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen in order to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, I'm sure you didn't do this when you were a kid, but maybe your kids did it. You catch them doing something wrong, and they begin to make excuses in ways that make it sound, oh, I, I, you know, I, yeah, I was coloring on the wall, but I was, I was making a picture for you, mommy. <laughs> but I told you not to color on the wall. Yeah, but I, I know, but I, I, I love you so much, mommy, that I, I wanted to put a picture on the wall for you. That's what Saul was doing. He was making all kinds of excuses for why he didn't obey. He cared more about what the people wanted than what God wanted. And he cared more about what he wanted than what God wanted. And so he began to make excuses. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. And I will tell you the Lord, what the Lord has told me this night. Now, so when Saul was confronted, because of his confession of faith, because what he believed about God and his loyal, lack of loyalty to God, he immediately made excuses trying to get around it, uh, to justify himself and rationalize his disobedience. Now, fast forward to David. He's committed that sin to Bathsheba, and Nathan has confronted him. And when he realizes it, David's response is this. I have sinned against the Lord a confession of faith of what he had done. Now, why was it that Saul tried to justify himself, rationalize, make excuses? Because he didn't have the true confession of faith. He didn't really believe about God, who God was. Why was it that David, who did worse than Saul? I mean, Saul compromised. David committed adultery, committed murder, and dishonored God among all the nations. He did much, much worse. But David, when he was confronted with this sin, said, uh, you're right. 
The reason is because of the confession of the faith that was in them. The confession of sin follows the confession of faith within us. And so there are many people who call themselves Christians in this day and age that will excuse their sin, rationalize their sin. They'll say, oh yeah, you know, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Instead of being devastated as David was because they don't have the confession of faith within them. They, and, and so you can't confess your sin in the way that, is, that agrees with God unless you have a true confession of faith in your heart. So let's go back to that 1 Timothy chapter 6 scripture and look and to see what he says about all of this. So 1 Timothy, we, we started verse 12 before, let's go back to verse 11. He says, the confession of faith means that we live it out, that we are active in pursuing God for who he is and obeying him for who he is. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Do whatever it takes to run away from anything that would cause you to not be fully devoted to God. Pursue righteousness with all the pursuit. That's a word of, of, um, of passion, a word of, of energy, a word of strength. Pursue them. Put everything you've got into them. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained. Action, deliberate, daily, moment by moment, honoring God, having the good confession of who he is and what he does in obedience to him. Keep the commandment unstained, free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Be honor and eternal dominion, not by just what we say but that our lives reflect that we are servants of God and we only do what he tells us to do. And we turn away from everything that is not of him and we pursue with all that we've got this life. What was it that caused David's soul to say, no excuses, I have sinned? It was his confession of faith. It was this intimacy with God that he had developed over those years so that even when he did this devastating series of sins, when he was confronted, he knew who God was. He knew what God required. And he made no excuses. He asked for nothing. He just said, you're right. Our character is revealed in moments like that. Our character is revealed in moments when somebody challenges our faith, when somebody asks us who we represent, when we have to make choices, when we know God has convicted us this way and a whole lot of other people are going that way. It's in those moments. Go back to Richard Wormbrand. You're probably tired of me talking about Richard Wormbrand, but... His, for some reason, his story has captured me. And, and if, I, 
I don't know what this movie about his wife's going to be like, but if there's anything like the movie about his life, it's, it's going to be powerful and, and convicting at the same time. Richard Warmbrand, before he was arrested, before the Soviets, or it might have been the Nazis even, um, took over. Yeah, it was the Nazis. They gathered all the pastors. They had this convocation of, of religious leaders, and the Nazis were, were coming in to say to them, we want to cooperate with the Christian church. We're, you know, we're, we're here to cooperate. We want you to join us in, in all the good things that Hitler and the Nazi party is going to provide. And as he and Sabina sat there in, in that convocation, there were other religious leaders who were standing up and saying, oh yeah, Hitler's going to be good for us. Hitler's going to be good for us. And, and, and he and Sabina, the movie shows that he and Sabina are sitting there and he says to her, I feel like I have to stand up and proclaim the truth, but if I do, I pro- you will probably lose your husband. And I hope this is true. But in the movie, it depicts her as turning to Richard and saying, if you don't, I don't want a husband who stands, who, who gives in to fear. And he did. And it, and it signed the, the warrant for eventually his imprisonment. What was it that caused him to stand up when everybody else who claimed to be pastors and evangelists in the Christian faith is because the confession of his faith, of his soul, is that he knew who God was and what God expected. And he hadn't been distracted in the trajectory just a little bit off of com- that, that caused compromise with so many others. And that is what is true for us. We have to be convinced. How, how do we get convinced? We come back to 1 Timothy. All of these words, flee, pursue, fight, take hold of, um, keep the commandment. Um, uh, all of those words, it is an effort. It's a, it's a lifestyle of discipleship, of surrender. Character is proven in the moments when we have choices. So in your bulletin, there's a insert about prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is, I believe, the best means for developing a true confession of our faith. One of the, um, one of the things I sensed I heard God say to me as I was praying this week was, Oftentimes, urgent, there, there are urgent things that don't look urgent. And that we're living in a time when an urgency is required, but it doesn't look like there's an urgency needed. Richard Wormbrand couldn't decide in that moment when he's sitting in the convocation, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a warrior for Christ. I'm going to you know, have my soul developed to the place of absolute obedience. That came from years and years and years of surrender. If in five years we need that kind of strength, it will be too late if we haven't spent these five years developing it. I think fasting is God's best way of causing us to develop that good confession of faith. 
So in the, on that insert, it says, the fasting is the incredible opportunity to experience Christ in closer relationship and greater alignment by willingly giving up food that is legitimately ours. It's a willingness to, to follow that. When Jesus says, um, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Denying yourself, saying no to yourself. And food is such a staple of our existence that um, that's what God has chosen as the means by which we can deny ourselves. It's a practical, sacrificial, spiritual discipline that allows God to work in ways not otherwise possible, and it reaps significant rewards. On the back side, there are, there's information about fasting, the types of fast, the lengths of fast, all of those, those detailed kinds of things. My challenge to you is this week. So next Sunday is our designated, starts our designated week of fasting. Between now and then, pray and ask God, how do you want me to fast? When do you want me to fast? What do you want it to look like? Fasting always involves food. It can involve other things like giving up media or Facebook or TV or you know, other kinds of things. But it always involves food in some way, shape, or form. Acts chapter 13 verses 1 to 3 is kind of the theme that, that I've been um, working with. This is an incident in the, the history of the early church. Acts chapter 13 verse 1 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod, and the, tetra, the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and, what's the next word? Fasting. They were designating themselves, I'm not going to eat, I want, I'm going to pursue the Lord. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, so they heard from God. Why? Because they were worshiping and fasting. They were focusing on God through this discipline. Then, when they heard from the Holy Spirit, they went back and said, we need to fast some more. We need to seek God more. We need to listen for what he has to say. And they laid hands on them and they sent them out. And so the, the theme for this week of prayer and fasting is surrendering and sending. Surrendering and sending. And I'm asking you to, to use these three kinds of prayers as, as the themes or, or as the activities for this week of fasting and prayer. First, knees and nudges, which came out of our last week of prayer and fasting. So start every day on your knees and surrender, saying, God, I surrender this day to you. I blank slate this day to you. I I'm, I'm just want you to have this day. Surrender however God leads you to pray for that. And then as you go through the rest of your day, pay attention to God's nudges on what he wants you to do and say and be and what he wants you to do. Knees and nudges. We've talked about that. Number two, the fasting prayer. Or did we change it in the outline? Okay, scratch that out. Scratch the, uh, number two says the fast, leave the and prayer. Scratch out the word fasting there. And I want you to write in the word hunger. The hunger prayer. And it's, it's not connected to hunger games, whatever that is. Hunger prayer. Here, because as I, as I was talking to, to Shailen yesterday, uh, um, fasting prayer doesn't really describe it. Here's what it is. Every time you get hungry... You pray this prayer, Lord, I love you more than food. Do whatever you want to. Every time you get hungry, every time you want to do something other than what you know God has told you to give up, 
Every time you're hungry, Lord, I love you more than food. Do whatever you want. Now, if you do a juice fast, the first day, you will pray that prayer 473 times. Because your stomach will grumble. Does God answer prayer? Does God hear every prayer? And if you pray, Lord, I love you more than food, do whatever you want to my life, 473 times in one day, it'll probably be more than you pray that prayer the whole rest of the year. And it will be powerful. Because God hears it, he will answer. And he will begin to work. Then number three is more specific. SNL. Anybody know what SNL stands for? If, what? <laughs> All of you that are old like me, you used to go to your, with your mom and you get savings and loan stamps. Savings and loan, yeah. But this is not savings and loan. This is sending and leading. At least once each day. Because I, I really sense that God is moving us from going deeper in intimacy with him to going out, stretching us extending his influence, his kingdom, as uh, Ray Vandalin talks about, is extending his kingdom. So every day, Lord, send us to the lost, the lost, those who don't know Christ as Savior. And, and however God leads you to pray, it, 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 send us to the lost and then lead us into the future. That's about direction. What is it God wants for us individually, but us as a congregation and then on the flip side, there are some more specific prayers that you can pray underneath one of those. Number two, praying the, the SNL prayers that God would send you personally to lost people in your life so that you can influence them, be soul and light. That God, for God to send us as a new song family, whatever that looks like, to lost people, and for God to send lost people to us through the sign, through the live stream, through, me, through friends, through neighbors, through whatever. Send the, the loss. And then leading. God to lead you personally into the future, whatever's on the agenda for you, and then for God to lead us as a congregation in the future, giving us clear, giving us clear direction. Pray sp specifically for me as the pastor of the church, or the leader of the church, that God would give me indication of where we need, what we need to do. Because times are changing. We're ne it's never going to go back to the way it was before. But God knows what it will be, and he knows what we need to do in order to fulfill his mission and purpose. So take some time with that and ask God what he wants you to do and how he wants you to do it. Randy Stevens has been sending me um, online devotions from Dallas Willard, a great man of God from previous generation. And yesterday, the devotion said this. The question then is, how precisely am I to go about doing my part in the process of my own transformation? What is my plan? The answer to this question is, in general formulation, by practice of spiritual disciplines or disciplines for the spiritual life. You hear what he's saying? 
Same thing that the Holy Spirit said through the Apostle Paul in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. You have to actively pursue God through, and he does it through spiritual disciplines, prayer and fasting being one of those disciplines. What is a discipline? The discipline is an activity within our power, something we can do that brings us to the point where we can do what we want at, what we can't, brings us to the point where we can do what we at present cannot do by direct effort. It's a discipline of doing something that will cause us to align with God in the presence of God, to surrender to God so that he can transform us into what he wants us to be. Got time for one more story? Yes. Okay, Nick speaks for us all. When we, in, in um, 1991, March 24th, 1991, was the very first worship service with New Song Community Church. Over the next six months or so, um, God just worked in amazing ways. There, we had a ba- huge baptism service. People came to know the Lord. It, God formed a, a community of people out of, out of Sheila and I, our family, the Lawrence, and one other person. My home church in Springfield, Ohio, had helped us. They had baked a whole bunch of cookies, and they sent them over, and we did cookie calls. They prayed for us. They donated money to us, they, and they, they were invested in it. It was the church that I grew up in from the time I was two years old. And so they asked me to come back on a Wednesday night and just share all the good things that God was doing. So I did that. And as a, I'm going to stand up. And so as I was doing, as I was doing that, I, I shared and everybody was thrilled and they were excited. And back in those days, preachers always had the responsibility at the end of a service to go back by the door and shake hands as people were leaving. You don't want to shake my hand. Yeah, I, I'll shake your hand, Nick. <laughs> and so I'm standing in the back and I'm talking. And, and I, now the Maidenland Church of God that I grew up in was like 800 to 1,000 people. So I knew the people in the youth group. Um, but I didn't know, you know, people like we know. And, and so there's this older gentleman that was there that night, and, and he comes walking. I didn't recognize him, don't know him, don't know who he is to this day. But he comes, as he, he comes walking through, and he shakes my hand. He looks at me, he smiles, he goes, Herb, that was so good to hear. Quite frankly, we didn't expect much out of you. <laughs> and at first, I, I got indignant. I'm going, what? I sure, I yeah. And then I started thinking about it. And I remembered that I was this little buzz-haired, you know, kid, backward, socially awkward runt when I was a kid. And I realized he was right. Nobody in that congregation probably should have expected anything out of me. And yet God did what he's done in this congregation and beyond, through me. Not me, through me. And I credit the last 25 years of anything that has been effective to the practice of prayer and fasting. Because when you turn to him, God honors that. Who knows what God might do? But he won't do it unless we pursue him. I want to challenge you. If you've never prayed, if you've never fasted, I want to challenge you to do it in some way, shape, or form. Obedient to God. I'm not going to tell you how. Obedient to God. He knows what he wants you to do. 
But that's the path to transformation. Would you bow your heads? Lord, would you do whatever it takes to develop the confession of faith in our souls so that everything we are, everything that we say, everything that we do is based on a true understanding of who you are and what you do. Would you so plant it within us that our immediate response will be to honor you? Will you transform us into the image of Christ more and more? Will you turn us around like you did the Apostle Paul? Will you make us willing to confess the hard stuff like David? God, I pray that you would not let any of us off the hook, but you would help us to hear your voice and know what you want, and then give us the courage to follow you in this week of prayer and fasting. Lord, we know things are stirring in the heavenly realm, but we know that you our God, that you're working in ways that we can't see. That you love us more than we can imagine. And that you have satisfaction beyond comprehension. And so we lean into you. Do whatever you want. Help us to hold each other accountable. Help us to encourage each other and be the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have-